Why are police photographing our license plates? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices Radio Talk News Program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. We all know how very much I love politics, history, and show business, especially theater and films. But did you know how much I love when my guests use their artistic talents to create truth about history and politics? And that's the case today when I'm talking to, a joke I'm sure they've heard all their lives, the Good Sisters. Laura and Linda Good. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio program today. Linda and Laura Good are twin sisters, songwriters, and co-founders of the alt-pop indie band The Twigs. After releasing five critically acclaimed CDs and having many of their songs on television, film, and radio, they have written a new original musical entitled Ladyship. Originally from Chicago, the Good Sisters have split their collaboration between Los Angeles and Charlottesville, Virginia. Linda and Laura Good, again, welcome to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio News Program, The Good Sisters. (laughs) Laura and Linda Good, and I'm just wondering, since you chuckled, have you never heard that joke before? (laughs) Never, Marcella. No, we we um we grew up being referred to as the good sisters. Because oh, wow. actually there's three other sisters that are older than us, but but certainly Linda and I were referred to as not only the good sisters, but the good twins. Sometimes but just the twins. Just yeah. the tw- <laughs> twins. And then you grow up and started uh, writing as the twigs? Yes. Okay. I wonder, since you have done so much and clearly are very close to one another, what's that like, twins? And Well, I guess if you're twins, it brings a whole different layer anyway, but what's that like doing so much? I mean, you're writing for 20 years as, as, the, uh, as an alt-pop band, The Twigs. Tell us a bit about that. Who wants to go first? Uh, Linda? Thank you, Marcello. <laughs> well, we've been singing and writing as long as we could play guitar, which was when we were about five years old. And then after college, we started writing together, and one would play guitar, one would play piano, 
and writing songs. And then we recorded our first recordings on cassette tape. Remember that? Yeah. And then we... I'll never tell. <laughs> and then we released a few CDs. This is when we were living in Chicago and have still continued to write till today. Uh-huh. And now, the most recent thing, I, I believe, is that the two of you, Laura and Linda Good, have written a new musical, including, of course, the song and lyrics, as well as the book, entitled Ladyship. And I was very fortunate to get a chance to read it the other night. We may talk about that a bit later. But right now, I've asked the two sisters, the good sisters, Linda and Laura, to come on the show so that we can talk about ladyship being selected for its theatrical premiere, I believe, in July of this year by the New York Musical Festival, which is no small accomplishment, I know, as a New Yorker. So let's jump into that. Laura... How did your new musical with your sister, Linda, Ladyship, hear from the New York Musical Festival? They ask for submissions every year of new work, of work that's not so new, um, some of it's not finished, some is, and we had barely finished the first version when we submitted it around Christmas time, having no illusions that it would be selected Hmm. because they accept submissions from all over the world. And lo and behold, they said, we would love to have you in the festival and also as a full production. So we were <laughs> delighted and surprised. And that's how we we, uh, we are now preparing for the first production. Fantastic. And and there's a, there's a whole grand jury involved, right? Um, yeah, uh, uh, some incredible luminaries that you just you can't believe. So uh, we're, we're very thrilled. It's amazing. It really is. And congratulations, by the way. Thank you. So, Laura, I get the impression from Linda that you you didn't expect the call. What made you submit it in the first place? Were you just figuring, well, hey, what's the worst that can happen? Sometimes it's good to have a deadline. We know because we've worked together our whole lives, and this was our first full-length musical that we've been working on for several years as a musicals tend to take and we thought why not let's just go for it and it was really good for us to have that deadline yes deadlines are good and and good to have the guts and courage even when even when it's a, you know you cross your fingers and hope for the best but still right. you you put it out there and that yes. i always admire that well one's west coast one's east coast tell us about that how is that for working it actually works surprisingly well. Having grown up as twins and leading parallel lives and also having the same interests, such as music and theater, it was nice to have some space between us. And mm. I actually think that it makes the collaboration more successful. Mm. We each have our own space around us that we can create in. I've lived in L.A. for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, Laura, how long have you been in Charlottesville? Uh, I've been in Charlottesville almost five years now. I have lived many places, um, and uh, yeah, I live in Charlottesville now, very happily. Yes. That's how Laura and I met, in any case. The musical, Ladyship, I got to read the part of the captain, which was sort of an impromptu occasion, Um, Laura. That was uh, the first time 
that we had a reading and it was a cold reading and I have to say Marcello did a illustrious turn as our captain <laughs> and Thank there you. was something even though we've done a lot of reading with each other and with family members there was nothing like having real actors try to embody these people that we've created on the page and it was very enlightening mm-hmm. some great suggestions were made and we're right now we're deep into the editing process wow well that's of- that's big of you because when you get a room full of actors to read I, I get that I'm a director and that always no matter how much I prep for that first read through or rehearsal I always love the fact that I know the moment the actors open their mouths it gives a whole nother area and I'm sure you you feel that way too but when you ask actors to then tell you what they think about the work <laughs> that's a whole new thing how was that no matter how small the part I, the actors would say, well, where's my solo? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask for a solo, but I think I have one right now. Oh, except for you. But now we might write one. Yeah. Right, actually. <laughs> yeah. We're thinking of a duet between you and your love interest. Oh, yes. <laughs> the captain the captain and his love interest. <laughs> yes, that's true. That that uh, Well, actually, it was quite well written, those two roles. But anyway, back to Ladyship, which is, by the way, a tremendous title. The Ladyship is the musical. It is based on true events about Irish teenage sisters, Alice and Mary, who in 1789 are caught in the web of what London called a bloody code. So, first of all, what's the bloody code? The bloody code was a political decision to up the prosecution stakes for small petty crimes and these were really crimes of survival Hmm. in a nutshell the industrial revolution had caused an influx of people from the country and farmers that were out of work so they all went to london to try to find work of which there really wasn't much so the streets became full of homeless and basically the people that uh, controlled government, such as the rich people and some other connected people, wanted to clean up the streets, so they upped the punishment for these crimes in an effort to get basically just poor people off the streets. Mm. And they were offenses such as um, if if your crime was over 41 shillings to to the victim, you could actually get hanged for that. Whoa. These were just small crimes of survival, such as stealing a loaf of bread or a small handkerchief that one could sell to make food really for that day. And so it it really, the result of it was the jails became overcrowded and it was really just kind of like the rich versus the poor. Yes. But we must mention that Ladyship, your musical, is is certainly uplifting, filled with hope. Uh, It's just that often life deals, well, you know, to say life isn't fair is, is an oversimplification. This musical shows us real history involving real people and real nations. And which brings us to, by the way, what do they do with these these women in general? Alice and Mary, to be sure, yes, because that's they are your main characters in Ladyship. But uh, perhaps by way of explaining the title even, what happened to the women who were found guilty for these petty crimes under the bloody code? Well, conveniently when the jails were overcrowded with all these mainly women who had been sentenced to death, 
at the same time, the new colony of Australia was was failing almost from the get-go. Mm. It was all male convicts. The farming wasn't working out. They were starving. So the, the, the monarchy of the time came up with this policy, and they called it tamers and breeders. And mm. they thought if just these convicts in Australia could be tamed by women and wives, the colony would survive. So they took all these young women of childbearing age from the jails in London, put them on a ship, and shipped them down to Australia. And uh, over about 70 years, they sent 25,000 women to do this too. And they really had no choice in who they married and what children they had or how many. So our musical takes place on the journey of one of the first ships, Mm. and it shows all of the incredible impossible conditions they were subjected to and somehow they survived thus the ladies on the ship that's right ladies ship and walking through the worst life has to offer in so many ways nonetheless hopeful strong courageous and destined to i believe even though i don't think your musical wraps it up in a neat little bow for us but they are destined to survive uh, survival comes in many different forms, as we all know. But So it is true that Australia, we should all know, was indeed the penal colony for convicts from England. And uh, didn't the, the wealthy and, the, and the, the powers that be of the time feel that this solved two problems for them, the overcrowded prisons, I guess that's where you were headed, and the convicts who don't know how to farm in, the, in Australia? You throw them together and... Uh, without either having rights? I mean, what happens? You said the women had no choice about who they married, so they just had to marry the first convict who chose them, and then and then they, what were they, housewives or indentured servants, what? Well, it's good to remember that all the men and the women were serving out terms, mm-hmm. and the minimum was seven years. In fact, we have a song called Seven Years, And when someone was sentenced to seven years transportation, it mostly meant that they put you somewhere else on a boat and sent you away. And then after that sentence was served, if you could then make your own money for passage back and were allowed back into the country, that was a possibility. But most people at that point, if they even physically survived the hard labor and the conditions and the sickness and and all of those things in the colony... So the ones that were tough enough to survive did. And for the most part, they did not have a choice in who they married. They, they were given incentives to marry because one of the underlying themes is this belief that social structures such as family and religion would unite a colony and be responsible for it, its success. And that, that was a, the, the prevailing... Uh, attitude of the time was that it was God's will that this all happened, that colonialism happened, and that uh, the monarchy wanted to spread those ideas throughout the world. And of course the monarchy in turn prospered from having this successfully developed colony, I guess, too, yes? Well, yes, they did. It was a combination of the monarchy and private enterprise. I mean, a lot of this was initially funded by private businesses. So it was another example of private business changing policy for their own benefit. Wow, that sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? Uh, (laughs) Yes, doesn't it? Yes. I I guess you didn't really have to 
intentionally think in those terms because it's all around us today and of course you are writing about historical events so the marriage seemed uh, inevitable you think the marriage between your the historical event what's happening in America today and your musical that marriage was that sort of inevitable as as you were composing and writing did the similarities invade interrupt or what they were they were there for the picking because yes. I mean I it, it is amazing the parallels of what's going on today when you when you look at history with a, a wider lens of the roles of women and men what was expected of them about all the blatant sexual harassment that they faced every step of the way from the jail to the boat to when they got there and also the rights of property. The strange thing is, if you could survive the journey and you're seven years or more to in a situation you wouldn't have had choice, some women did have greater rights in Australia at the end of it. Hmm. So, so in some ways, you want to explore freedom at what cost, survival at what cost. And we didn't really have to add anything. We just did a lot of research and we used our our viewpoints and the story came to life and and also interestingly the history of the time that was written really by men by white men colonial white men um had a very in looking at it through the modern lens it it's it was very interesting that they really polarized the worth, the worth or lack of worth of these women. They really mm. just thought that we could throw them away. We can just tell them what to do because of this inherent class system. And as Americans, I think we really take for granted that we. It's it's hard to imagine that if you were born into a certain class, that is where you stayed. There was no jumping of classes whatsoever. Even if you had money, it was it was very difficult to change your fate. If your father was a blacksmith, you were a blacksmith. If you were born a woman, you were going to become a wife and bear children, and hopefully they survive. But without those uh, structures in place in Australia, you could actually make something. Women could keep their own money that they made. They Mm -hmm. could own their own property. So it was a very radical idea that if used, they could improve their lives. And, now, and as we continued to do the research and we actually started reading the letters that the women had wrote, we really started to see a much more complex portrayal of women that had lives and their own histories. And they were painted with such a broad brush by these male historians that now one of our goals as the musical is to write it from the woman's point of view of what they actually went through and not what was done to them, but how that they actually survived this really difficult situation. Yes, and and that was a point we were certainly going to make. We're going to take a break and we'll talk more about the musical and what the characters go through, which is very emblematic of what actually happened in history. But I also want to mention, I invited both Linda and Laura Good today to be on our show because while they have received this tremendous opportunity so early in their creation of Ladyship, they have to fundraise to launch the production that they've been invited to give as part of the New York Musical Festival in July. 
So don't go away. Stay with us, because when we return, you're going to find out how you can be a part of launching this brand new musical, Ladyship. And now, a little musical message from the new musical, Ladyship, by my guests, Linda and Laura Good. Only the strong survive. Only the hardest hearts get out of here alive. Do what it takes to wake the devil there below. Who tries to break your soul into the fire? Only the tough get by. Only the strong survive. Only the hardest hearts get out of here alive. Do what it takes to wake the devil there below. Who tries to break your soul into the fire? Only the tough get by. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk News Radio Program. My guests today are the twin sisters, the twin sisters Linda and Laura Good, who have been composing music, writing music, doing it all for 20 years at least. They have written for an alt-pop band as The Twigs, and they have now composed and written the book for and lyrics, etc., for a new musical entitled Ladyship, which has been selected for its theatrical premiere in July by the New York Musical Festival. This is a great honor, but it does not fund the actual production. That has to be self-funded and needs a fundraising campaign. And because I loved the script, I wanted to make certain that The Reasonable Voice do as much as it can to assist Linda and Laura with their ladyship launch. How about that? So, Laura or Linda, tell us what is the easiest, simplest way for us to find out how we can financially support this great new musical ladyship? If they just go to the website, which is ladyship.twigs.com, all of the donation information is right there on the first page. And because we should mention this is a nonprofit festival, there are certain ways to donate that are completely tax deductible. Well, that's wonderful. Yes. Okay. And we will mention that again. But I do want to now, because we got a lot into the history, because I think that's important, especially what I call, and a lot of people are starting to call, herstory. So I, I wanted to cover a lot of that, because this is based on true events. Ladyship is based on true events, true events which many women are facing in American offices and schools and the workplace and wherever. So, and, and in prisons too, by the way. So uh-huh. having said all of that though, I would like now to, uh, you mentioned something that I thought was very important because I know this from the other day when I met you, Laura, that this sentence on a ship to go to the penal colony of Australia was called, the actual sentence, the judgment, was called a transportation? That's correct. Tell us about that. I mean, gee, is that just a euphemism? Were they they just not willing to, to say the truth? Well, there were different euphemisms for what that meant, but mainly it was that they were on a boat 
to get somewhere else. And Britain is not a large country, mm-hmm. so they, there was definite motivation to to spread colonialism. And they actually tried to they, well, they were sending the convicts to America, but in the 1770s they obviously were in the midst of a revolution, and so they stopped accepting the convicts from the monarchy of King George at the time. Britain actually, they tried to colonize Africa first, but that didn't go very well. So Captain Cook had recently, quote unquote, discovered this land of Australia, and it was about the farthest away on the map that you could get from England. Mm -hmm. And the journey took about 10 months to a year, depending on the weather. Wow. Yeah. On a ship, and of course, the convicts, the female convicts aboard the ship in Lady Ship weren't exactly on the top deck, were they? No. <laughs> they were they were in the very, very bottom, usually the fourth or fifth level down, right mm. above the bilge. And the bilge was where all the waste was dumped, where yes. from from years and years it was never cleared out. So if you can just only imagine just being there by itself, how horrible it would be for nine or ten months. Yes. And you also said, I, I believe it was Linda, that what's unique about, because it was one of my questions, what's unique about your musical, Ladyship, is that it is indeed told from the woman's point of view. Can you elaborate on that a bit, using some of your characters and how they demonstrate that? Well, interestingly, in the research that we were doing, um, the reports in the local papers about what was happening in Australia and who these women were, were very polarized it was that the women were either fallen women or prostitutes and they they it was almost sort of blaming the victim as you were that these were morally corrupt women so we want to number one get them out of england so it doesn't quote unquote infect society so they could just go and put them somewhere else and a lot of those articles were written that it was almost kind of blaming the victim like just because a, a woman was a woman Mm. that they tempted men so much to do what they wanted to. I mean, it was, it, it was the, the power dynamic was very black and white. Mm-hmm. It's the so, old, if you didn't want to get raped, why did you dress like that? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, exactly. It was really just, I mean, it was, you almost have to laugh at how these women were uh, portrayed by these men, that it was just, just because they were a woman, that therefore that they tempted men to do whatever they wanted to and women really legally did not have rights that they could say no or say no to their husband or keep their own money etc so when we found some letters that they had just released from the Australia historical societies about the women it painted a much different picture Mm. about these were a lot of these women were married at the time, but they, they were stealing to feed their children, even at their own expense that they did not feed themselves. One story letter that we highlight and sort of summarize is that one woman who was married, the husband injured his leg, and so she didn't have money to pay the doctor, so she did steal and got caught, and the family never saw her again. And she writes this heartbreaking letter that she misses her children and that was she even blames herself in the letter. It was my folly to mm. to resort to thievery to pay this doctor's bill, and so so we so one of the characters is based inspired by that letter, 
And a, a lot of the women were Irish too. And that's what inspired us about the Irish sisters that, um, because of the, um, the famines, this was before the potato famine, but, um, because of the industrial revolution, as I mentioned, um, people were starving and they, they were reduced to just doing whatever they could. Do some of your, the, the letters, your research, I mean, it seems, seems like a silly question, but I just want to hear you give us examples. The, the letters le- became lyrics in songs or, or the titles of songs or inspired dialogue? Tell us. Not directly, but certainly you get such a different perspective when you read their account. Mm. And even if they were actually married when they got caught, marriage was not this, um, it seemed kind of fluid, actually. So when they were on the ship, sailors at the time, it was fully part of their contract that they would get what's called a temporary wife at sea. And this was almost encouraged because it was thought to keep the sea, the sailors more in line. And so when some of these women get sentenced to be on the ship, even if they were married back home, they had a fake marriage aboard. So somehow religiously it was considered okay. They would literally jump over a broom and become temporarily married to the sailor for the length of the duration. And right before they got to Australia, they would jump backwards over the broom to be unmarried only to be then taken to the docks and be chosen by the next convict that was waiting. So it, I, so these stories are very, they inspired our, our lyrics, not so much word for word, mm-hmm. but certainly the viewpoint did. How does this, because I do sincerely, having read your script, Ladyship, I do feel there is, well, it's not a happy ending, but it certainly is an, uh, a a a promise that life will go on because the strong shall survive this mm-hmm. and they will do better not only for themselves but for everyone because they'll never treat anybody the way they've been treated uh, i don't think that's too much to say but can you tell us one moment one song one duet one scene that particularly stands out to you that that makes that that gift to us that this this does get better even though we're still staring at 2019. Uh Uh, Well, yes, I mean, we really wanted to still find light in the darkness and some rays of hope. We have a song called I'll Be Your Anchor. Mm, And it's actually a, a quartet of really how it's not just the hope of physical survival. It's not just the hope of possibly making money that you could buy your way into some sort of power arrangement but it was the relationships between people and it Mm. really is a love story between the sisters and how they're there for each other even though they have different viewpoints about what they each want in their lives but i would say yeah i'll be your anchor is Mm. is an example of that i agree I, i absolutely agree well, because I'm I'm sincere in this, uh, having having some experience with your musical ladyship, having read it, having been able to listen to it with the other actors, and be a part of the exchange with you, Laura, I uh, and and also because I've directed many musicals, I feel very strongly that ladyship 
is something we need to all see. So let's talk about specific dates that it will be playing, and then let's talk about how we can make certain financially that it does indeed get produced. What are the dates in July? Is it like the first well, week of the festival? The, the festival runs in New York City through mainly the month of July, starting July 7th, I believe. And I believe this is not 100% sure, but pretty sure that we open on July 10th in a Midtown Theater on 42nd Street. Wow. And we have, we have five performances. And the festival itself is just an amazing experience to see all of the latest new work. There's 10 productions over the course of four weeks. It's a very inexpensive ticket. You can come and see three brand new musicals in the space of a few days. And you're working with some talent straight off of Broadway. So um, so we're, we're looking at July 10th for Ladyship to open. Fantastic. So now let's talk about how do we get tickets, that's, uh, where do we call, but most of all, I want to remind people that this needs our financial support to make certain that Ladyship hits the boards. So remind us uh, how we get on the website for the New York uh, Musical Festival, how we get on the Ladyship website, and, and some of the ways that we can donate so that this can become a mounted production. The New York Musical Festival website is nymf.org. And there you can see all of the productions, read the synopsis, and find out all about that, including ours, Ladyship. Our Ladyship website is ladyship.twigs.com. That's .twigs.com. We have all of our donation information on there. And the, the great thing about musicals is that it's truly collaboration. Mm. No one can really do it by themselves in a room, even though it might start that way with just an idea. Musicals are a very expensive proposition. Yes. And even as part of this nonprofit festival, there's lots of salaries for actors and directors and musicians and prop people and costume people and things that you wouldn't even think behind the scenes that you need such as a general manager and a payroll person and a lighting person and a sound designer all these things it's what i love about it is to work with these incredible artists that are just amazing at what they do that all come together so that when that curtain rises, we all have a wonderful experience. Fabulous. All right. Well, I'd like uh, again to say that the the website to visit uh, is ladyship.twigs, T-W-I-G-S dot com, to make, in many cases, a tax-deductible donation to help this new musical, Ladyship, launch and have its New York City Midtown, <laughs> New York City premiere. So I ask you ladies now, before we go, each of you have your turn. Tell me what is it you want us as audience to take away from this, what I think is a great new timely musical ladyship. What's the message? The message is, I think that you're stronger than you know and it takes strength to survive it takes strength to do what's right but in the end we all benefit mm. and I would say Marcello 
to have a ray of hope that even in the darkest dawn, there's always room to have hope. Even if you're not feeling hopeful at that moment, the hope to have hope is in my mind all about growth and rising up and um, even just surviving day to day is a victory. Yes. Fantastic. All right. Our guests today have been Linda and Laura Good, twin sisters who have been working together, uh, writing and composing uh, music for over 20 years, I guess, and uh, are have uh, sort of culminated at this point, they're not done yet, with a musical entitled Ladyship, based on a great deal of English, Australian, Irish history that we in America are still living a piece of at least in 2019, I believe. And they have been received this opportunity by submitting, having the courage before they were even finished to submit this wonderful musical to the New York Musical Festival, which is an amazing organization. And they were accepted and probably opening around July 10th in Midtown Manhattan. So anything I left out or you... Uh, well, just thank you so much for your support, and we loved having you be part of the process, which is the reading process. There's many readings, there's many rewrites, there's many drafts, but it was just really helpful for to hear you speak our words, and we're very grateful for that. Well, I was very grateful to be a part of it. Uh, uh, a shout out to Boomy Peterson, who does a great deal in Central Virginia and Washington, D.C., and in helping develop and launch uh, new works. I That's what my company did in Manhattan for 20 years. So thank you so very much, Linda and Laura Good, for being on the show today. And I sincerely look forward to talking to you again soon, okay? And oh, and please let me know if there's anything I can do, all right? Thank you, Marcello. Thank oh. you so much, it was our pleasure. Now, all the best now, bye now. Thank you, you too. And now, another musical hint from the new musical, Ladyship. Music and lyrics by my guests today, Linda and Laura Good. Whether Madonna or a whore who can pretend To get anywhere we must be twice as good as men Then twice as good again for half the price Only the strong Only the strong survive Only the tough get by Only the brave remain Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Here's where we are, U.S. District Judge George J. Hazel. On America's 243rd birthday, can all Americans prove, in unity, if not civility, that our individual character defines us? Obeying our Constitution's laws makes us exceptional, and justice for all equals national security. Listen, our military, our nation's capital, and our sacred Lincoln Memorial were not transformed into a political event footnote until our Trump, led by the nose media, aided and abetted by our undivided attention, cast it so. We the people are the wind beneath Trump's GOP wings, rocket-firing his flight of fantasy by fulfilling his most ardent individualized American dream— Dominating our thinking by dominating every news cycle.
to save an America made in Trump's own image, we need, by example, to help all to see the wisdom and self-preservation of love thy neighbor as thyself. Even those for whom pursuit of happiness remains separating and caging asylum-seeking families. And we need to stop expecting someone to listen after we call them stupid. When the last rocket's red glare yields to darkness and the last ferociously expensive ego tank display has returned to its rational place, perhaps we will realize how thankful we should be to Donald Trump, his offspring, his son-in-law Jared, his bankers, Dorcha and John Mercer, and his comrades, Mitch McConnell and Vladimir Putin. For without the special brand of patriotism of the Trump, we might still be living under the delusion that our U.S. Constitution, like the World Trade Towers, is an implacable, indestructible diamond rock of Gibraltar, insulated from all harm, foreign or domestic. However, with Trump's image replacing Lincoln's as our national reflection, reason and character profaned by our 45th now reduces American institutions to footstools, vulnerable to our enemies within. A people mesmerized from sea to shining sea by torrential texts, towering tweets, and insidious instant grams of nonsense worthy of talking heads weakens our power to perceive the difference between truth and reality show pretense. America's education, communication, and debating skills have been so debased that the vast majority of Americans without question believe every utterance of corporatism's ads for overconsumerism, Mark Zuckerberg's conjured boost-it numbers con, and thinking a narcissistic reality show host has any intention of letting go of the greatest gig he's ever fallen into. Certainly not after he ordered, received, and rehearsed for a military show of force around the exterior of our 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue property. In our 243rd year, it's about time, and how we deal with the timing of past due consequences. Some as old as sexism and racism, others evolving as immigration and opiate addiction, and some threatening the very life of our planet, as Trump is threatening our legal foundation, calling a timeout on obeying a federal court order while displaying a not-so-veiled threat of how easy making America martial law again could be. Our constitutional crisis is that our Constitution is in crisis, and all it took was blind obedience to one apathetic, ruthlessly unethical man, being the natural outcome of a GOP evolving from Lincoln's greatness to grandfathering, grotesque gerrymandering corruption to make America as unrecognizable as it was 28 June 1969, and most recently, at the Pulse. On America's 243rd birthday, with a birther belching bogus battle stations, with buffoonery besieging Lincoln's reflection with tanks, invigorating his MAGA with viable and possible census discrimination, our next wish had best be for recapturing mental stability. We owe our country the birthday present of a cease and desist order for both arguing about and cheering for the wrong things. For doing so, we are the wind beneath the wings determined to whitewash our power to be decent human beings. A military-industrial complex mudslinging our land of the free back to Betsy Ross's stars and stripes forever. No matter who said what Sinclair Lewis thought, 
On 4 July 2019, Donald Trump and comrades celebrated fascism coming to America wrapped in the flag. You need go no further than Proverbs. How long, simple ones, will you love simplicity? How long will mockers delight in themselves in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Time is of the essence. Most are aware of Trump's idolatry for hot picks like anti-democratic strongmen whose anti-humane treatment of scientists in the land of Putin prompted Americans to organize during America's 200th birthday year as the Helsinki Watch, 43 years before our USDA scientists would need its watchful eye and a media to snap out of it and help preserve, protect, and defend curiosity, empathy, and knowledge from a president incapable of recognizing that his duty and our honor would be better served if he lavished as much brotherly love on our southern border as he does on Kim Jong-un's. Birthdays are a good time for self-reflection, particularly for those still willing to maintain Trump's grip on America's nuclear war power. Perhaps in honor of our Independence Day, we should proclaim this. Impeachment isn't enough. Trump, Pence, and members of their acting administration, not being too big to fail, need to go to jail. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.